everybody, and welcome to Libromancy, a podcast about the magic of books. I'm your host, Josh, and today I have with me Allison from the Wordless podcast. Hello. And today we're going to be talking about Risen by Benedict Jacka. Uh, this is the twelfth and final book in the Alex Vera series. Um, so let's redeem the magic of books. So uh, I really, really enjoyed this book, Allison. How about you? I have enjoyed this whole series. First of all, it's the first book I've read that I'm going to podcast on that I don't feel like I have to take notes on. So that was very enjoyable in and of itself. But they are just a lot of fun. And if you like big battles and explosions and stuff, this is the book for you. Yeah, this one definitely had a lot more um, action. And it's, this is, uh, I'm not going to say this is a spoiler because it's not, but it's kind of tough to remember that this whole book takes place over like three days, right? It is very compact. Whereas the other books have been, you know, a week here, a month there, you know, a couple months here. And this one is like, the last couple have been shorter and shorter and shorter time spans. And then this one's just, you know, three days. So I I, I liked that a lot. It takes place like a week after the last book ends, right? Something like that. It's very close to the, to the last book. If it's a week at all. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I really enjoyed, I really enjoyed, um, that the action is handled smartly. Mm-hmm. Like you, and you are, cause some authors, when you're reading their action scenes, you're like, what, who, where you always know what's going on. It's very focused and, yeah. and it's just done so well. And you also get these really great emotional moments in this book. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, I was going to say on that, like, I love the battles we get. And I think you're a hundred percent right that, uh, Benedict has a great way of writing, battle scenes where it's informative and you get a good vision of what's happening in your head without it being like too long-winded or too over the top right like as you're experiencing it you're or as you're reading it you know you could be like picture it but it's never like man this fight is just way too over explained like you know Mm -hmm. does that make sense but then at the same time even with all this action there are a ton of emotional beats and emotional hits in this book that just get you sometimes and they're earned they're not cheap or schmaltzy that's the word i was looking for i think there's a particular scene between him and luna that had me choking up like it was so real and so real to who those two characters were and it like i said it's earned throughout the series oh yeah their relationship and there is there's definitely a lot of uh I don't know. I, I, there's a lot of foreshadowing in previous books as mm-hmm. there's so things that could happen in these books, like later books. But so I think this foreshadowing is done really well in the, the earlier books where it's like even book, you know, like especially book one, that's like a huge foreshadowing piece mm-hmm. that we get. But you would never think it is because it's brought up and then dropped and then we never kind of think about it again. But it's so there I- still. Yeah, so I had the benefit of reading the entire series in about a three-week time period. So those really, those moments really do stand out. Yeah, because you're like, oh yeah, he said that in this two books ago or whatever, you know. Uh huh. No, I, I agree a hundred percent. There's uh, for as much as there is in these books and as detailed as they are, they're actually super quick and they're all about three hundred pages. So it really isn't even a like a huge obligation to knock one of them out, right? Right. So cool question. And you can yeah. cut this if the answer is no. Mm-hmm. When you sold this book to me, you sold it to me as discount Dresden. Uh, I was probably wrong when I sent it, sold it as discount Dresden. I think I had, I pretty much, I'd read the first six or seven, uh, but Dresden, 
Justin and Alex Veras are both urban fantasy, and they're both urban fantasy done the way I like urban fantasy done, where it's not urban romance in a fantasy setting. It's <laughs> urban fantasy, maybe with a little romance, maybe not, right? Right. But Justin takes off and goes hard power spiking where they get they they go up against higher and higher problems and issues and you know they kind of have to keep growing in strength every book whereas Alex Veras is kind of much more low key the players are kind of all there from the very beginning and you're never like okay I defeated this issue now I have to go defeat that guy's boss and that guy's boss which sometimes is what Dresden can feel like mm -hmm. um, so then I say discount Dresden they just mean on like a power level it's it's different but very similar it, styles. I would say yes, it's very similar. I would say that um the Alex Varis series is more consistent in quality. Mm. Whereas Dresden, you have some really great books and you have some other books that are just like, um, you know, it also kind of starts out the same way. It follows kind of the same thing. But as far as the power spiking, there, yeah, you don't have that until this very last book. Well, and then there's until the last three books. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The last three books. There's been. But it's different but at the same time it's because it's, not, it's It doesn't feel like. Yeah. He's not going after new people. He's just acquired a new power for himself versus like, you know, he was always going up against people above his tier, you know, and his enemies didn't also gain a huge power level either. Some of them did. There is one other comparison I would like to make. Go ahead. The Light Council and the White Council in Dresden. Mm-hmm. Both are infuriating. I think that's part of the nature of uh, the books and part because bureaucracy in is infuriating in general. That's true. <laughs> but they're infuriating in exactly the same way. Is that because uh... they... No, no, let me explain. Because they ignore low-level magic users, they create a lot of their own problems. Okay, I agree 100% with that. I've, I've read multiple times, multiple times against the White Council or not the White Council, excuse me, about the Light Council because they are horrible and stupid and they make the worst decisions possible every time. Should we keep killing that guy who's never died? Yes, let's keep trying to kill that guy who we can't kill. You know, Or let's give the Dark Mages a way to create power, a power base by ignoring the Adepts and treating them badly. Yeah, exactly. It's just they are full <gasps> decisions. And in the last book, Landis you know, talks about it. He's like, look, we knew Levistus was the problem child the whole time, but like we can't go against the council because we have to stand for something, right? And a council is better than no council. So kick Levistus or whatever the. But they didn't name. have the power, Levistus. Yeah. Yeah, Levistus. Well, the thing is, is that he is clearly a dark mage who just happens to be on the light council, and everybody thinks he's light council. Okay, here let's uh, uh, let's hold up for just one second here. We're going right. to move into our spoiler territory. We're going to go to it. I just want to make sure everybody knows. We're going to go into our spoiler section here. So if you haven't read Risen, I don't know why you're listening, because this is the 12th book. You should go read it if you haven't already. If you haven't read any of the books, then this is clearly a mistake, and you need to go back and read them all again. We're all for the first <laughs> time here. Um, but that's one of my questions for you in our spoiler section is, you know, what is the real difference between the Light Council and the Dark Mages? The Light Council, you know, to me... The only real difference is that the Light Council kind of do it behind your back. They will kill you, but they do it behind your back and they don't do it directly. Whereas the Dark Mages are all about, they'll do it directly, but if you're strong enough or you 
project strength enough, then they'll just leave you alone. I mean, what's are you going to do a recap know. before we get into the spoilers? Uh, not right now. We'll do it after this okay. question. Okay. Okay. So the difference is that the light council have bureaucracy. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's the only difference. And um, they're much more organized in the way that they exchange favors than the, and they're, yeah, they just have bureaucracy, which makes them actually kind of more evil. <laughs> you know, no, it's, uh, dark mages are coming from. It's true. It's true though. What you said, the Levistus is basically just a dark mage. He does whatever he wants with this power, as long as it benefits him. Right. So I mean, it's exactly like a dark mage. Yeah, yeah. The very first book, he kidnaps kind of Alex and gets him in a room and like threatens him with his his zombie Air elemental. Yeah, his zombie elemental. He's zombified mm-hmm. an elemental. Like, how messed up is that? Why would you do well, that? I mean, we know why he would do it because all he cares about is power. Right, because he needed that to be for his strength, right? But it's like, and then he held that grudge for you know nine, ten books until Alex you know killed him. But it's just like. You are not like I hope like you say you're doing everything for the light for the good guys, but like you have clearly fallen. And that's a And nobody calls him on it. There are what, six other ministers? Yeah. And the only reason they don't is because well Well, they don't because he has this huge blackmail source, right? Right. Exactly. So which again is awesome, by the way. (laughs) He is. You know, when you're blackmailing people. That generally means you're not a good guy. Now, there are exceptions that you can be a good person and be doing blackmail stuff if you have to, right? But 90% of the time, if you're out there collecting information to blackmail people, you're a bad guy. You're doing it because you want, you know, because that's what you do. Not because you're trying to, like, save people with it, right? I mean, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I just, I don't understand where why nobody is willing to shank him. Because then they'd lose their power as well. And he was very powerful on his own as a mind mage and an ice mage. He had an extreme amount of power. So right? you shank him. <laughs> but if he's, he can sense your mind as you get close to him, how are you going to shank him? You could do what Levisus was it? No, it was Barriar who mined uh, Luna's apartment i think Levistus would be a little bit more aware than that since he has november you know until the last but i mean whatever we're gonna just say Levistus is a bad guy and he just randomly signs death warrants all the time he does (laughs) he's it's really it's like i loved uh, i talked about this in whatever book it came up but uh when alex varus is talking to rain and he's like you know how many people are truly loyal to the council like how many would truly, truly like want the council? And Alex was like, uh, spoiler, it's zero. Nobody loves the council. Everybody's just afraid of the council because they're off willy-nilly signing death warrants. Oh, you didn't do this one thing? You said the wrong thing over here? Death warrant. You're in trouble. Yep. Death warrant, you know? It's like, get over yourselves, like council. Maybe you should like hand out a few less death warrants and fix, you know, or maybe problems. take care of the adepts. Maybe we should do that. Maybe we should nurture and protect other magical creatures and beings and people. The, the adepts are worthless magic users who couldn't stand up in a huge fight. Oh, wait, they do multiple times because they're not stupid. <laughs> yeah, they just aren't necessarily super powerful, but you don't have to be super powerful. You just have to be smart. Yeah. And um, and I think it one in one of the books, I think it was the last one, something about there's it's like a fifty to one ratio mages to mm-hmm. adepts. I mean fifty to one. 
you might want to worry about the 50. <laughs> exactly. If they ever actually got organized. Yeah. No. Um, let's talk about our characters for a little bit here. Okay. Alex in this book. Uh, he's great. He has a little bit of that self-sacrifice thing going on because he's like, he's suicidal. Hey, I'm going to die because the fate weaver is like literally eating into my chest. Now uh, any minute it'll hit my lungs and then I will die. So, I mean, do you feel like Alex changed at all? In the last couple books, he hasn't really changed much after he gets the fate weaver. You know, he's more willing to do what it takes. He's not really angry. You know, he's not really like, what am I trying to say here? He's ruthless. He yeah, he's more ruthless, right? He's like, you don't agree with me? Okay, fine. But here's what's going to happen. And then he does it, right? Yeah. So, I mean, what'd you feel about Alex in this book? Did you feel like he did good? Was he wrong? Did he change? Tell me he about him. He did change throughout the series, for sure. Um, but at the beginning of this book, he is suicidal. And he is basically, he goes and sees his mom. He says goodbye to Luna. He says goodbye to our dryad. Yep. He's going to go die. He is going to go die. And Well, he, he knows that. Yeah, but that, he kind of even says it's probably for the best that I do. Right, because he has that dragon prophecy, I can't save them and survive. I can survive or I can save everybody. Right. You know, and, and so and, it's like, oh. Um, and that moment where Luna's like, no, I'm worried about you. Mm -hmm. um, and he says, well, I, I'm going to go in there and I'm probably not coming back. And, you know. It was a tough moment, yeah, because he's he's prepared to to do the the ultimate sacrifice. And now, okay, let's just talk about it here because this is this is the end of the book. This is the spoiler section. How did you feel about the fake out death? Are you there? I am. Okay. I have very mixed feelings about it because I really do love happy endings. They make my heart glow, and it's like, oh, it was a cheat. I really do think it was a cheat. I think that he should have died, and I think that probably Anne should have died too. But oh. I would have been fine with Anne getting out. If if I had to kill one of them, I would have killed Alex and yeah, left Anne yeah. alone because she's basically, she's healed by that point, right? But I agree. I like my happy endings, and I don't think it actually takes away from the story to have him survive, right? I don't think I look back at the book and be like, you know, would have just been a great book if he hadn't survived. You know, I still... It doesn't change how I feel about the book, you know? It doesn't change how I feel about it, but I, I mean, kind of like people said the same thing about Harry Potter, that Harry Potter should have died. And I kind of feel like Al should have died, but because I love happy endings, I'm like, oh, now he's like this magical creature thing. And now I'm wondering, so the Weaver thingy. Mm -hmm. The Fate Weaver. The Fate Weaver. Will it, is he now maybe immortal? Because the Fate Weaver is kind of immortal. Well, it's an item, yeah. So I would assume yeah. he's. I was. That's what I was thinking about too. Is like uh, Alex and Annie are basically the immortal power couple who just comes in and fixes things when they go wrong, right? At the end. I mean, sure. Uh, yeah. Because Annie has super life magic, and I'm sure that she could super recharge her cells to stay young. Maybe I don't know. Like life mages generally die before that happens <laughs> because everybody gets mad at them and you know keeps trying to kill them for some reason. I don't know, weird. The the council's hatred of both Anne and Alex is so irrational to me. It's it's the it's not irrational when you think about it um, from a different perspective, right? It's irrational to us as readers because we are seeing this from their perspective, from Alex and Annie's perspective. So we see how the characters feel about it, right? But if you think about it, like every 
all the light mages are trained and basically indoctrinated that dark mages are bad. Dark mages are bad. You know, if you're taught by a dark aren't. mage, you're, you're tainted. But, but they aren't, but that's not the, what they're told. They're told that, that they are bad and that they are evil and that they'll kill you I as mean, soon as look at you. The dark mages are evil, but they are not dark mages. But they were trained by dark mages, so therefore they're connected. Yeah, it's just, well, maybe maybe the council should get on its game and start training young sorcerers so that they maybe don't. They really should. <laughs> I, I'm I'm not trying to defend their opinion. I'm just saying that from their perspective, it's it's rational because of the way they've been taught and raised in their insular community. The Light Council is very insular. This is us. If you're yeah. not with us, you're against us. Dark mages are against yeah. us. Independents are against us. Whereas it should be like we're the Light Council. We're here for everybody. You know, or I mean, the okay, let's try and stay off of the light council for a minute. But like, <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. Like, no, you're fine. But like, literally, the least they could do is be like, hey, you know what? We're going to hold our, our wizards accountable so that they don't just go around murdering people all the time. Like, having a you know, murdered this wizard, this other adept. And, you know, we'll just, you know, oh, clap on the wrist. It's okay. Just, you know, try not to let those silly adepts get under your skin again and you know have to murder them all mm-hmm. otherwise we'll have to pay more out for it again you know it's just like yeah take care of your issues here council like get on with it all right sorry no you're fine but it's a bugaboo for me it really it, is. it is for me too because it's like the council does so much wrong because all, all of them suck except <laughs> except for alex when he's on the council and surprisingly like... morden who's also on the council that's yes, right <laughs> So, I'm assuming that Chalice is doing just fine as a councilman, too. See, she's another dark independent, so she'd be great, hopefully, right? Right. Because <laughs> apparently you have to be evil to be good on the council. We're not going to go there. But let's talk about Luna now. Oh, uh, Luna! Luna is the best. She is so amazing in all the books. She's even better in this one. She cares. She's got basically full control of her power now. And I loved... I love the contract because Alex is like, oh, hey, you had that contract with me. Just, you know, come back to my shop or come back to, to Luna's shop and, you know, do this. And the Jen's like, you don't have a future, man. Like, you're about to go die. Like, I can't <laughs> trust your contract. But Luna steps up and she's like, no, I'll make a contract with you because, you know, that the monkey paw merit is all about the law and the contract. And it's like, all right, I'll do it. And then she rescues Vari or Vary. And it was awesome. I loved it. Luna is my favorite character in the entire series. She really Ooh, is. High praise. Um, she grows so much. She, she starts out as this scared little adolescent. I mean, she's not. She's a little older than that. She she's twenties, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And watching her come into her own and gain confidence, and she starts out seeing herself as a curse. And by the end of the series, she's giving out blessings. Like literally, mm-hmm. she'll she'll flip her curse around. And, and put it on you as a blessing. And and she's taken up Alex's role at the beginning, which is where she's looking for that one in a thousand, that one person mm-hmm. who actually really needs help. And she has adepts come in and ask her for help, and she's able to give it to him. And one, one point of growth that Luna really has is she starts, she starts very weak and very scared, right? And then she grows into combat magic, and she does all the tourneys, and she's like, I am right. so strong. I want to be strong. I want to protect people. And then by the end of the book, or, you know, in last book, when she chooses her mage name, Mage Vesta, Vesta it's, she's like, you know, I realized that, like, for all my combat strength, like, that's good. But how many times has my combat strength solved a problem? Uh, twice. Or, like, 
you know, twice. Right. All the times we've been in conflict, it's never been about who can throw the biggest punch. Being able to throw a punch brings me to the table, but it's never solved by me throwing a punch. So I like that growth that she continues to be like, you know, I am more than just a fighter and I can be more than that. And so. she looks at Alex's life and she's like, I don't want to walk down that road. I don't want to do that. Mm -hmm. Because Alex is constantly making the making poor decisions about his use of his violence. Um, he makes a lot of reactive decisions for the right. first half of the book. Right. And then once he starts making his proactive decisions, uh, he becomes a lot more competent in that regard. And he also gets that. That's when he gets the fate weaver. Yeah, right. And that's that's his first. I wouldn't say it's his first proactive decision, but like that's one of the few proactive decisions he has. Is like I'm going to take the monkeys, or the the fate weaver, and use that to bolster my strength so that I can become, you know, more powerful to do the things I need to get done. So well, and one of the other cool things about Luna is she's not even an adept. Yeah, she she is the victim of this curse that it's supposed to have been a fairy blessing to keep her safe, but what it does is just endanger everyone around her. Well, no, it's it's a straight up curse. It's a it's a it's a curse. Right curse through and through it's never meant for good right uh, I, uh, I don't it's ambiguous what the fairy was trying to do no so it's a witch cursed them a witch cursed yeah. her whole family because she hated them so much <laughs> anyway the point is is that she is able to take this thing that's a bad thing about herself because we all have those things mm -hmm. and turn it into a good thing or to harness that bad thing in a way that is constructive you know it's like people mm -hmm. who are super aggressive mm. it's can be really bad or you can channel your aggression into a way that will turn you into someone like bill gates or elon musk the point is is that you that personality type can do be really destructive or really constructive and she does that and she also becomes the goddess of hearth and home which is just wonderful <laughs> yeah now luna is luna is awesome uh she just she's a great character the whole the whole time through and through so you know, Vari in this book, not much of an appearance, but that's totally fair. Taken over by the monkey paw. We'll just push him to the side for right now. I don't mind that because he he kind of grows and then falls back and grows and falls back. But he's, you know, he was still a good character while he was through with us in the series. So, yeah, well, um, and, and he's able to have he does grow a lot because he becomes much less impulsive mm -hmm. throughout the series. Until he gets possessed. Well, even then, he's very he's not impulsive at all. When he, that's when he's true. Possessed. <laughs> that's um, true. Uh, let's talk about Annie. <sighs> she is the problem child of all problem children, she's or at least dark Annie is. <laughs> I was I was gonna say Annie's the worst, but she's really not the worst. But no, what Richard Lavistus? <laughs> when Richard says at, to Alex, <laughs> she is she's she's the driven me the most crazy of any woman I've ever interacted with, or something like that. <laughs> And then he says, you deserve better, Alex. Well, you have to remember, it's uh, Annie's not one, but two. And so that's uh, two women so, is always more complicated than one woman. <laughs> so do you remember when I said they had to meld? And you mm. were like, no, she has, he has to. I just want to say I was right. They had to meld. Well, I thought they would meld, too. I just thought it would be different. This time, Alex, uh, Alex took no crap and he said, you are going to get melded right now. And then he forced it <laughs> and it happened. I, I thought it would be more they actually like grow to accept and become one or something versus 
uh, no, we're just going to stop this and, and force it to happen. So, yeah, but I um I don't know if I want to see more of the new Anne or not. I'm glad that she's working on our problems. <laughs> I guess. Yeah, I mean, new Anne, I liked uh, I liked the description that Luna gives that you know, new Anne was uh she was she was still kind of meek and mild, but like she'd laugh and she was more of a whole person now. Whereas yeah, before, she had an yeah, edge she, to her. Yeah, she was a whole person again, and she she'd bite you if you tried to do something right. Like she wouldn't just be super passive anymore. So I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Cause okay. passive and was super annoying to me anyway. <laughs> well, she's that, uh, she's that extreme pacifism, right? But that's because of the split. So which yeah, extreme pacifism is I mean, its own issue. Getting, when you're getting literally flayed alive and you don't figure out how to use your magic to kill the person who's flaying you alive. <laughs> Sorry. That one's a tough one because it's touch only. And so if she's restricted. She has she, range later, doesn't she? The djinn has range. Oh, the djinn has range. The djinn has range. She does not. Yeah. She's touch only, which is the, the issue with that part. Right. But uh, all right, I wanted to just. Here. To torture her yet again. How many I times have tortured? Her? Well, she. You know, well, again, this goes back to the council. Like, quit torturing people. Like, <laughs> this is not a good idea. All right, I want to talk just quickly about a couple light mages. Caldera, I want to know how hard she was fighting the djinn, um, because I think I loved Caldera in the beginning. She was great, and then every book she got worse and worse, and just dedicated to stopping Alex and to proving to Alex that he was wrong. And so I was like, did she really fight the gym? Did she just accept that and be like, nah, I'll use this if I get to beat up Alex, right? <laughs> well, I wasn't quite so harsh towards her. Um, Defending Levistus. It no, was the last straw. That no, was... I, as far as with the gin part, like oh, I think okay. she was genuinely possessed. And because she did try to fight the gin when she got the gin knocked out of her kind of for a minute. Yeah. And then she ac accidentally kills Rain or almost kills Rain. And Rain is somebody she genuinely respects. But mm -hmm. yes, I agree with you. I did not understand her defense of the council and what they were doing with Alex because she knew Alex. She had worked with him. And I, I was like, what are you doing? Mm -hmm. <laughs> this makes no sense. Like, I understand um, Sonder because he's a pa he's a legitimately a pacifist and mm -hmm. Alex scares him. So I understand Sonder backing off and not really wanting to be friends with him anymore. But he's never really openly hostile to Alex, not in the way that Caldera is. And I don't. Well, Caldera wants, she believes in the ideal council. And unfortunately, she does not live in a world with an ideal council. She lives in a crappy world with a crappy council. And so. So like she, the world. <laughs> yeah. So like the real world. Right. So, but she just, she has to prove to, I, I love the character work of Caldera because she does start good, but you can see her slowly going like, no, the council is right. You have to obey all the rules. You can't just keep doing whatever you do and hoping it'll all work out, which, you know, you I get from like a realistic perspective, but sometimes rules are wrong or like, councils are wrong but and we and we know that she's willing to bend the rules because when and one of the times where Anne gets kidnapped she's willing to spend time looking for her even though she has all these other cases so you know that she is purposely prioritizing getting alex yeah it's so it was just a sad sad mm -hmm. end to caldera that she had to die that yeah but again at the last straw you know trying to guard lavistus because you know that's where alex is coming in and then learning about all the crap that Levistus was in, 
and being like, how do you see this? And just say, oh, it's okay. You know, Alex maybe, was still wrong. but Maybe she thought that she would get, finally get her promotion or something. I don't think she really cared about that. I, I, I'm baffled. Yeah. I, All right. I'm... You brought up Sonder. I was sad to see Sonder get killed. I was too. I liked Sonder. Made sense his death. But I didn't. I, I was always hoping for uh, a redemption arc in my mind for Sonder because he doesn't do anything that needs redeemed. Obviously, right? He's a good guy. Reconciliation. But, yeah, exactly. A reconciliation with Alex, where he's like, you know what, Alex, you were a dark mage, but you're an independent basically now. And you know what? You've done good things because if you look at the results of Alex's actions, they're mostly good. I mean, killing two council members is not like the best, and. Uh, <laughs> Hiding I mean, Annie being possessed by a gin is not the best, but like those, yeah. On the whole, he does good things and helps people, right? I agree. And the thing that irritates me about Sander is he's fine with Alex using violence to to protect his body, his person. But when mm. Alex needs to protect himself, like with those um, seven or eight adepts that were coming after Alex, then he's like. Oh, you just killed them all. There surely had been, should have been another way. I mean, how many times did Alex try not to kill them? Exactly. And nobody seems to remember that. They're always like, oh, remember all those adepts you killed? He's like, do you remember the eight times I gave them to walk away and to stop by making me kill them? Like, <laughs> and uh, I loved, uh, I, I loved the scene in the last book. I know it's the last book, you guys, I'm sorry, but where uh, Sonder betrays Alex again and he's like here go this way because that's where the council's going to teleport into or gate into right and Alex is like uh I, I bet fate and I know that Simaris likes to do this and he starts talking to Al uh, Sonder about it and then he just like shoots Simaris in the head as she opens up her, like right as the gate opens up and then <laughs> amazing. And Sonder's like doesn't even realize what's happened because it was so like timed so well right he just sees Alex shoot and then nothing <laughs> so I was just like oh that's that was, uh, yeah. that was a great scene. Um, I feel like, okay, this is back to Alex, one point where he kind of grew and he not matured or changed, but like he really felt it was when he, they were going after Vihalia, the life death mage, mm -hmm. and he basically sacrificed Ilmarin for Vihalia. Do you remember that? Yes. Yes. That was, uh, As, that was so interesting. That's all. I just, I like that, that he, he actually reflected on it this time. This is one of his first big reflections on you know, did I do the right thing here with this ability? And the thing is, is that that's a real thing when you're commanding an army. And and mm. like Luna says, I'm glad you're making the decision and not me. Yeah, but and I'm glad you're making the decision versus anybody else on the Light Council. <laughs> right. <laughs> Although Landers is pretty cool. Landis is He's not, he's not on the council. So. No. <laughs> so, which Landis is, why is amazing. I love him. I think, okay, last character I think we have to talk about, and then we can bring up some other ones if you want or anything, but uh, Richard Drock. I, yeah, this whole book, he's he's always been built up and built up and built up, and, you know, we see how afraid of him Alex is, and then in this book, he's just like, he's still very powerful and very influential and uses his ability impressively. Um, how did you feel about Richard in this one? You know, he's just, he's a power-hungry man. That's all he cares about is more power. I like what Alex's mom says about him. Mm -hmm. He's basically just a grifter. Yep. And I don't remember the word. It's a Russian word that she uses. But basically, he's a pusher. He's a drug dealer. He's just out for himself and out for power. And I mean, I'll give him this. He's self-aware. 
Yeah. <laughs> but I think um, that putting that image in Alex's head is what enables him to defeat to uh, defeat Richard because he's able to. It takes Richard down a peg. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's not this unbeatable force. He's just a guy, a grifter, a, a pusher, a fixer, right? So right, right. And um, but yeah, he he's never going to be satisfied. Um, he has created an image around himself. First of all, at the beginning of the series, nobody knows what kind of magician he is mm-hmm. or what age. And you find out, or Alex works out that he's um, a diviner, mm-hmm. which is what Alex is. And diviners are normally considered the weakest mage. But because Richard hides that, he projects this image up like this on the screen. I'm waving my hands in the air, guys, mm-hmm. in this audio format. Um and his power is in his cultivated image. And he's right. also a really smart guy and whatnot. But it, that's what his power is. And um, he's a really good villain. Like, there's a part of you that's kind of like, I admires him in that kind of creepy sort of way. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if that makes sense. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, I do. Okay. So I don't yeah. sound like a sociopath. Okay. I, the only thing I really wish is I wish we had known why Richard went to a different world for 10 years. Yes. Because that's I, never really explained. And I was really, before I remembered the gin, right? Um, when I was rereading, I was like, why did he go there? Did he go there to get access to a different style of magic? So he'll have like two styles of magic, but it's, he just went there and now he's back. And I, we don't know why we don't know it, anything. So it almost feels like, like it was forgotten about. Or like we just needed him out of the story for the first five books <laughs> until he could come back. Unless he went to get the gen. But no, Rachel's the, already crazy. So we know that she's had her gen. So Richard yeah, must have had The gen's been in the, the council vault forever. So yeah, I don't know. That's, that's like the one thing I'm like, okay, this is like my one of my little nitpicky things. It's like, why did Richard have to go to a separate world? This is Couldn't not a nitpicky. Just, uh, it's a picky thing. How about that? And the Maybe reason why it's not it's, a nitpicky, but it's a picky thing. <laughs> the reason why I would say it's not nitpicky is because like there is this huge buildup around it. Around him coming back, yeah. yeah. Right. There's and and everyone's like, and you know, Richard or not Richard, but Alex thinks it's a dream and blah 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 blah, and he doesn't believe it. There's this huge buildup, and then eh. <laughs> I mean eh. Yeah. Yeah. No, uh Richard's ability to push fake visions out to trick people. Before cool. Alex figures that out, that was pretty impressive. Like Alex was like, "Hey, look, I uh, I could do it too." And uh, Helicon's teacher's like, "Yeah, that sucks. Like, <laughs> now this guy is fake from like three miles away. Like, you don't even have to try." <laughs> He's like, "Well, how long will it take to get good? Uh, six months at the very least." <laughs> well, I have like a half a day. He's like, "Well, then it's gonna suck. Sorry." Yep, sorry. So, and I love the way I love the way that Alex beat Richard. Is that he he basically just blanks out the future sites of both of them. So right. it's just, you know, well, and then and kills him, of course. But that's <laughs> you know, that's the only way to do it. So yeah. So the, um what do you think about some of our animal friends or magical creature friends? Because oh. I love Arachne. I I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on this, but I was very sad when she went away. <laughs> Everybody's sad when, when Arachne went away, but uh, I right here in my notes, uh, you know, to remember Arachne's final gift, you know, to to Annie, you know, she knew what was going to happen, that she'd be forcibly recombined and need that healing. So I was just like, ah, Arachne, you're, you're the best. But and Hermes, I like- Hermes' true best. 
Yeah, Hermes is just there to listen to Alex and... And he saves Alex at the very end. He does. He totally does. (laughs) Because Richard's like, I've got you now. And then Hermes teleports in and is like, ha ha, I'm here. And Richard's like, what the heck? Like, where do you keep getting all these things that stop me from killing you? Just die. So great. So great. And also he just like... So we know that Hermes is as intelligent as a human being. He mm-hmm. can't talk. And just like the whole yes or no blinking thing. And like, um, he'll look at Hermes and say, do you think I just need to get myself together? And Hermes blinks at him once. <laughs> Hermes just gives him like the look where he's just like, come <laughs> on, like, get over it. like. <laughs> and he's just there to, he's, he has this cool combination between being a nonverbal arachne and a pet. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, because he's always just showing up at their house, eating their food. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) You're fucking getting fat. Allison, what or who is your favorite non-main character? So by non-main, you know, not kind of the ones we've talked about. I'll tell you mine. I think I really loved Cinder. He was a great character. You know, all the parts you see him at first, he's just a dark mage. He just likes to kill people. And then you get more and more about him and you're like, oh, he's just a guy. Like, sure, he's really good at killing, but like, that's not who he is. A hundred percent. Right. Right. He's a smart guy and, and he's, he cares. He's just trying to make it. Yeah. I felt bad for him when when Rachel died because she wouldn't let it go. I would I really had hoped that they were just going to exit the story mm-hmm. peacefully. Right. You know, she'll, would- send, she'll go to Cinder. And then they'll just disappear, right? He takes her away. They never come back, right? Yeah, they ride off into the sunset and make little dark mage babies. But that doesn't happen, so. But uh, my other, one of my other favorite characters is Landis. Just the crazy eccentric, but like when it gets down to business, he's all serious and all there, you know? Just a fun character, so. Yeah, I would say Landis is probably my favorite. And Cinder's up there. I do like Cinder's um, sidekick adept mm-hmm. as well, who's the the American who was that when they were going to get the that's when they went and got the fate weaver huh weaver mm-hmm. he's a fat character i mean i do i we mentioned saunder but he's not really a main character for most of the series no he's I, he's not so and i do like him quite a bit too in fact i was kind of hoping that saunder and luna were going to get together at the beginning <laughs> yeah no well it's uh luna goes through a lot of relationships she has a potential with alex which is crushed by the second book Right. And then she has uh, potential Sonder, potential Virium. So, she has that I mean, one. She has that one dude. Oh, Martin in the second yeah. book. Yeah. yeah. Hate Martin. Sorry, Martin. Go die in a fire some more. Please. <laughs> I was gonna say he's kind of dead. <laughs> well, uh Rachel uh Annie and Luna are about the same age. So it wouldn't be that much weirder. It would have been in the very beginning because of they were just early twenties, but not that yeah i mean but i think by the time that ann and alex get together the age difference isn't that big of a deal anymore i also really liked um i had it and it was gone seeing that earlier books november well yeah november is amazing (laughs) i just (laughs) cultivate this uh this artificial intelligence spirit and give it access to everything here you go and i (laughs) i like how um alex and november talk about their how his deviation is a or divin, divination is slightly different than um, the probability mm-hmm. and like there's this inner weird interaction that they have and kind of it's an interesting talk. Um, and originally November is super upset about being stolen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then he's like, Actually, I kind of like this better. <laughs> yeah. 
you know, talk no, to more people. <laughs> I loved it. I loved that November in the beginning, he was like, why do you keep contacting me with the, with the Dreamstone? How am I supposed to know what's you? I don't have my, and as an IT guy, it's like, he's like, I don't have my handshake protocols. I don't have this. Right. Like, how am I supposed to know? And then by the end of that book, he's like, you know what? Uh, I actually like it better when you uh, call me through the Dreamstone. That's, uh, you know, so it's just like even the minor characters, you know, get the growth. And so I love, I loved November too. He was so great. Um, I know once we hang up, I'm going to remember the name of the character that I was thinking of. Well, that's fine. If you think about it before then, uh, we'll let, we'll, we'll bring it back up. But what was your favorite book or your favorite like arc or your favorite scene? Um, I think my favorite scene is the first time that he gets the fate weaver in the first book. And he's like, I can do anything. And he proceeds to wreck everybody there. And you know, then he's rescued by Luna. Right. But that first scene is just so epic and it sets it up for these last books where he actually uses the fate weaver again in another fight against Onyx again. Right. So so I think my favorite scene is when Alex, and it's in this book, is when Alex uses his, so we find out he has all these magic items. <laughs> yeah. Including a crown that makes him fly. Yep. So he flies to the windmill to save the the security force mm-hmm. and confronts Barry and makes a deal with his gen. He calls himself the host and blah, blah, blah. And then he's like, fine, I re- I reconciled it. I don't have to follow this order. I don't have to kill you because i have to honor the fact that you're my host and i just love that scene i just there's i mean there's a lot of scenes that i love i love the scene where luna gets the ribbon at the in the very first book oh that was such a nice scene and she gets to go dancing yeah with alex in the and she doesn't know anything about magical society she's basically a normie and and that's when you first meet morden too if i remember correctly but anyway a lot of people there yeah yeah, but um, just that she finally gets to touch somebody. <laughs> Can you? I don't think people realize how important like getting to touch somebody is. Just physical contact is really important because we're social animals. It's very true. Yeah. No, it's a it's a huge a huge thing. Um, did you catch that the uh, the gin, the generals were uh, fire water? You know, they yeah. were the elements: fire, water, wind, and earth. Yeah, okay. and and that the. Anne's Jen, whose name I can't remember. Um, oh, Suleiman, yeah. No, Suleiman is the is the person who captures no. all the. Yeah. Okay. Um, and he was also a real person, by the way. There was, a, mm-hmm. I mean, not the magical person. <laughs> I oh no! This wizard. is the real world. We're just the normies reading his story. It's okay. <laughs> I understand. Um. Yeah, and that he put the she put the Jen into the appropriate mage's body. Yeah. yeah. And when you find out that that Barriar and um. Caldera. Caldera, like, start healing themselves. Yeah, that's like, oh, crap. We gotta, we gotta <laughs> work on that now. Yeah. So. All right. Okay. If you could make one change to the whole, to the series or to this book, what would you change? Arachne wouldn't leave. Oh, you just let Arachne die. I see how it no, is. No, she, I, I thought that that whole scene was weird and crazy, and I didn't understand why they were t- attacking Arachne just because Anne and Alex were there. It made no sense, and I didn't like it. Because they're scared of magical beasts. Uh, well, that's, I mean, the She's true... Been living there forever. I, no, I don't true, buy it. I, <laughs> the true Light Council's purpose was to protect humanity from dangerous magical beasts. 
she's right. been living there forever and they've had no reason to attack her. I think but I, they're she's her enemy now because she she's their enemy because no, she sides with no, Alex. No, That's why no, it's just no. it's guilty by association. No. And again, the light council making a mistake. A huge mistake. I think, I think that the whole that whole sequence makes no sense and is a mistake. That sequence is a mistake. Mm. I already talked about mine. I would just uh, incul incorporate more of Richard's return from this other world, right? Make something yeah. from that other world matter more. So Alex would die. I mean, I really think he should die. No, I don't want him to die. But I think he should. <laughs> he's. I thought this is. Uh, I thought that when the Fate Weaver was going to take him over, that he would just turn into a statue. Oh yeah. Hmm. Right. So he'd be not a living statue, just like an actual statue statue because it's turning so whatever kind of pose he was in when he finished would be like obviously that would require his whole body to be turned but i kind of was just like eh, it'll just turn all of them once he's dead you know mm -hmm. kind of hand wavy so i, I yeah. thought that was going to be the way and it i mean it really crushed me when it's like the last thing is like and then it was warm and annie's like no you can't die and then it just like cut off and i was like what is this the end like i am not I'm not okay with this. I need, I need a denouement. I need some epilogue. Like, luckily, that's not the true end. But I was, uh, I was starting to freak out a bit because I, I was reading it. And I was like, oh my gosh, it's done. And then I was like, okay, let's just keep going. There might be something else after. And there was. So, you know, it was okay. In the Is end. that when you were going to almost write that angry letter? That's true. I, I had started composing an angry letter. It was basically just full of swear words. And like, <laughs> why did you do this? And then I didn't. So. I thought it was cute and cheeky the way he did it, though. It was. It was super cheeky and super. It, it fits the book just fine. Like, it doesn't feel out of place to me. Yeah. So is there anything else you wanted to talk about, about Risen or the series in general? You know what? If you like hard-boiled detective stories, if you like urban fantasy, if you like British humor, because it's very British humory, it, it's just a really fun series. It's not a huge commitment of time. Um I, I'm thinking about making I'm thinking about making Mark read it. He's read it. Oh, he has. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um. Yeah. No. It's it's a, it's a lot of fun. Consistent quality. Too much. I have to air. say that's one of the best. Uh, that's a good selling point for it. I think is very consistent quality, and it's done. Oh yes, it's mm -hmm. that's also a good thing. Because <laughs> man, there's so many series I'm reading that are still going on, and I love Cosmere, but my God. <laughs> I'm gonna be dead before those books are done. Yeah, that's that's. I recommend it to anybody who's right. Great. No, I agree. I if you if you like the urban fantasies, you want your your uh, Patricia Briggs with Mercedes Thompson, your Dresdens, your Kate Norvells. Like you're gonna love the Benedict Jacka series, the Alex Vera series by Benedict Jacka. Super consistent quality. Super fun short books. They're easy to read but they still make you think um so mm -hmm. i'd recommend it to pretty much everybody all the time so yeah and it's generally good character work like you know mm -hmm. you no, don't often you don't often get that in this style of book normally it's very flat characters and they're not yeah or even side characters that only show up a little bit can feel flat and i don't i'm sure that if you really look and dig i'm sure you could find a flat character but i think for the most part Everybody kind of grows and changes, even the ones who are only in for part and then out and then in, you know, they mm. still growing and changing on their own. Yeah. Okay. I think that's everything I have to say. I'll right, remember well, that character at some point and then I'll just text it angrily to you at like midnight tonight. <laughs> that's totally fine. Uh, 
Allison, thanks for coming on. Uh, where can people listen to your wonderful podcast? You can find us on all your major podcatchers. Is that what it's called? Sure. I'm a, I'm, um, it's wordless and we focus on short fiction in the sci-fi and fantasy genre. And me and my sidekick, Mark, <laughs> have reviewed things as new as remote control and as old as the time machine. So it's been a lot of fun talking to him about that. Yeah. Uh, and I'm going to have Mark on in a couple months as well for a couple books. So awesome. that'll be really exciting. So, uh, Thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, thanks to David Hillowitz for the intro and outro music. You know, Please like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from. And I, I do have a Patreon up. It's patreon.com slash Libromancy if you feel like supporting the show. But please remember to redeem the magic of books. Mm-hmm.